away from and toward motivation often work hand in hand. And what I see happening in terms of busyness, especially with entrepreneurs and even those in corporate, you know, especially as you get higher up and you're, you do have a little more leeway and flexibility, maybe you're managing other people, is there's two things. Number one, busyness can be used to avoid. It can be used to numb our feelings. Mm -hmm. It can be used to avoid taking a look at the deeper issues that maybe are there under the surface. You know, the broken relationship that's not working yeah. out so well or yeah. the emotional hurts, those things that we often don't, sometimes aren't aware of and sometimes just don't want to deal with. And busyness can also be used towards something, towards feeling fulfilled, towards feeling yeah. a sense of worth, a sense of pride in the work that you do, a sense of significance. Mm-hmm. For some people, it can be both back and forth all day long. Yeah. And so it just becomes this really convenient way to avoid and also feel worth something. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Goodwin, and I'm so glad to have you with me today as always. Thank you so much for your shares and your downloads and for being a subscriber. I love being on this voice journey with you. And I've got a great episode for you today. With me is a very amazing and super cool woman, Courtney Elmer. And I met Courtney, I think, I know we'll dive into this in the interview, but I met her. She was introduced to me from a friend of mine who has actually been on the show. We're friends now. He was in my program But before that, I hired him to do my trademark for me for Psychology of the Voice. And so it's one of those introduction friends that I have. But when you meet Courtney, when you hear her, she's one of these people that you feel like you've known your whole life. And really, even before I officially met her, I knew we were going to hit it off. I knew she was one of my people. Now, obviously, when I heard her voice, of course, I knew she was one of my people, but really has an extraordinary story and has has done and is doing very cool things in the world with her own business. So I've I've wanted to have her on the show. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, entrepreneur, business, setbacks. And if you are interested in doing a podcast, or maybe you already have a podcast and Maybe you don't have the numbers that you want. Maybe you're considering, okay, what do I do? What do I do to make this thing better? Courtney is amazing and has created a strategy that is getting incredible results for people who want to do podcasts when they launch their show and those that want to do a relaunch. So we've got all kinds of things we're going to talk about. So make sure you stay with me, but let me tell you just a little bit about her. Courtney Elmer is the CEO of The Effortless Life. Already sounds good, doesn't it? And every year, she helps hundreds of entrepreneurs simplify and scale their business using a proven 
new approach to work smarter, not harder. She developed the effortless life method to help struggling entrepreneurs understand why stress, overwhelm, and burnout happens even when they're pursuing their passion. And man, can I relate to that. Through signature digital programs, the Effortless Life Academy, live workshops, and weekend mastermind retreats, she guides entrepreneurs to become the effortless CEO, their business needs, so they can generate consistent revenue, unlock their full potential, and create a bigger impact without working 24-7. Her podcast, The Effortless Life, is ranked among the top 500 shows across the globe and is dedicated to helping people build a business that provides the freedom they've been looking for. After a fast-paced corporate career and overcoming cancer at the age of 25, she realized that life's too short to waste any time feeling overworked, underpaid, and maxed out. Courtney lives in New Orleans with her husband, Alan, and their son, AJ, a surprise miracle baby following her cancer treatments. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Let me tell you one more thing about her. She enjoys traveling and giving back, especially with the Blooming Lily Foundation and its mission to empower young girls in underprivileged countries to reach their dreams. But get this. Last but not least, she can't pass up dark chocolate and good cappuccino. And any of you that have listened to the show, you know how much I love chocolate and especially dark chocolate. So you can see it was a no-brainer. I know you're going to love having having a chat with me and Courtney, and you're going to learn so much. So let's head on over to the show. Courtney, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you with me today. I'm so excited to be here, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been excited to have you on the show. And, you know, I think that our meeting was a bit serendipitous in a way. And those are the best kinds of meetings, right? I think that's where I meet the coolest people is I meet somebody and then they know somebody and they connect that somebody and then when you meet. And that's certainly what happened with us. You guys remember Joey that was on the show a couple of weeks ago. He introduced me to Courtney. Of course, Joey is like the master connector guy, and he's so good at connecting people that really, you know, really should be connected. And so that's how I met Courtney. And we had a chat and just fell in love with her, as I know you're going to fall in love with her today. And really wanted her to come on the show. She does amazing work, but she's also got an amazing story. So I wanted to have have her on to share with you. So Um, I, and you know, you're right about that. Joey, I call him the super connector. Uh, He's so gifted at that. And if he's listening right now, Joey, you're awesome. And I, I think that's so true too, you know, in business, right? How when you're least expecting it, someone connects you with someone because they see the potential in the relationship. And then that brings you together and then beautiful things come of that. And it's really magical in a sense. And so I am so glad that we had the opportunity to connect and we chatted for what, an hour on that day? Oh, on that easy. Call. It was like, <laughs> we've been best friends forever. It was like so right. easy to talk with you and great to get to know you since. 
Yeah. And that's, I love those moments. You know, I love those moments. So we talked a little bit, well, we talked a lot that day that we chatted, but I don't know the full story of how Courtney got where she is today. So you can, you can lay it out however you want. Ultimately, I want to get to what you do and why you do it. So with that, maybe you could just start wherever you need to start to talk about what you do and why you do it. Absolutely. So I started my career in the corporate world, as many of us entrepreneurs do, who eventually transitioned to the world of entrepreneurship. And I was working nine to five and nights and weekends Mm. and lunch breaks and doing everything that I felt I possibly could to climb that ladder as quickly as possible. And the reason was because I wanted to make the income that would provide me the freedom and the flexibility on my calendar to get my life back. And at the time, I felt like I didn't really have a life. All I did was work. So fast forward, I met the love of my life. We started dating. We started, we got engaged, started planning our wedding, got married. And two days after getting back home from our honeymoon, I'd had a follow-up doctor's visit scheduled with my doctor. I'd been a little sick before the wedding and he wanted me to come back in, just get things checked out, make sure I was healthy. And never in a million years did I expect what would happen that day, sitting in the doctor's office. And my doctor looked me in the eye and he said, well, we've got your test results back. And Courtney, you have cancer. I was 25 years old. Mm. And in that moment, I knew that I had to do something different, Mm -hmm. that I couldn't continue sacrificing my life, my health, my relationships, my sanity for the sake of success. I didn't know if there was an easier way. All I had ever been taught, as most of us are taught in this hard work and hustle culture that we live in, at least here in the Western world, I thought you had to work hard to be successful. I thought you had to put in the hours and then later in life, you could reap the rewards. But that wasn't working for me anymore. And I saw it so clearly in that moment. So fast forward again, a few years later, was when I really started my entrepreneurial journey and walked away from that nine to five. After going through treatment and recovery, I started back at my nine to five job again, because that was all I knew. And Mm -hmm. work was so ingrained in such a part of my identity that there was a big part of me that wanted to work to escape all of the Mm -hmm. craziness that I had just experienced. But at the same time, that seed had been planted in my heart. And I knew that that wasn't permanent. I was, it was just a stepping stone. I would be moving on into something else where I was working for myself. What that looked like, I had no idea. So I really just started on this own journey, my own journey of personal growth and started learning about the beliefs and the lens through which I was seeing the world and what I was saying and speaking into reality that was or was not possible for me mm-hmm. and getting really present to that, becoming very, very aware of the own thoughts going on in my mind, the fears, the doubts, the uncertainties, this overall lack of confidence that I felt because despite having had tremendous success in my career for my age at that point, 
I still felt so empty on the inside. And so what started as a journey of personal growth quickly transitioned into me helping others, colleagues, friends, family members, learn how to stop overworking and start experiencing success differently. And there was no methodology at that point. There was no, you know, formal anything. It was just me helping them learn how to take a step back and really rediscover what was important in their life and to realign their life based on those priorities so that they could go on to succeed in business and in life without feeling like they had to trade one for the other, sacrifice one for the other. So that really just became what is now known as the Effortless Life, which is the brand that I run today. The Effortless CEO Academy, where we teach entrepreneurs how to stop overworking and start making more in their business while working less. And really just this five-part methodology that I've developed to help people, number one, recognize the beliefs that are currently holding them back. Number two, identify if the way they're working right now is actually working in their favor. And number three, learn how to redefine what success means for them and then align their life to create that. So that's the nutshell version. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So much, so much in there. I have to backtrack just a little bit and ask you some questions. I mean, I ultimately want to talk about those three points, but I have some questions in what you've said already. And I love what you said about, I started to look at the way I was, I mean, I heard that as use your voice. And it made me think of, and I don't know the exact scripture in the Bible, but it was one of my favorites. The power of life and death is in your tongue. Mm. And I really heard you changed the way you used your voice, maybe to the outside world, but also to yourself. And that, and when I say voice in, in this conversation, in this moment, I mean, literal and not so literal is what it sounds like. Yes. And what's so interesting, a lot of people will ask me, well, gosh, cancer, 25, what, yeah. how did you know? What were the symptoms? What kind of yeah. cancer was it? And what is so fascinating to me is that the type of cancer that I had was thyroid cancer. Mm. The greatest risk of having your thyroid removed is having your vocal cords severed. The first thing my doctor did when I came out of the anesthesia was to ask me to say my name, not to see if the anesthesia had worn off, but to see if I could speak. Wow. And I could, and I have my voice. What I found out later on on this journey of personal growth that I have been on myself over these past seven plus years is that cancer is often linked physically in the body to an emotional pain of deep-seated hurt and resentment. And in my life, throughout my life, my relationship with my mother has been contentious at times, to put it nicely. We've done a lot of work on our relationship through the years. 
And it dawned on me just this year, over the summer, it was early summer this year, 2020, at the time of this recording, when I finally connected the dots in a way that I had never connected them before. And this this theme of using my voice and speaking my truth and and speaking both physically and metaphysically, Mm -hmm. literally, figuratively, was had kept coming up for me, like as if there was something else I still needed to learn. Mm. And I'll never forget, I was sitting on a training call with James Wedmore, for those of you listening who know him. And he said something to me about speaking my voice, using my voice, something along those lines. I don't remember what exactly he said, but in that moment, I remember so clear as day, this scene in my life, a memory, when I was about eight or nine years old, standing in the kitchen, watching my mom wash the dishes. And I was pretty sassy growing up. I always bit back and, you know, had to have the last word, the final say. I know, right? (laughs) Well, what's so interesting is that that was the moment that I started suppressing my voice and who Mm. I really was. Because I can remember, I pictured this in my mind, even telling you this story right now. My mom turned to me in that moment. She was fussing about something. And she said, Courtney, your mouth is what gets you in trouble. I just got a really bad pain in my heart Mm. (laughs) because that's your psychology of the voice story. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. So. And in that instant, did everything change? Yes. Without you even realizing it. Without even realizing it until whatever it's been 25 plus years later. Yeah. And so now having that awareness, first of all, I am so grateful for that seeing how all the dots connect and how interesting that cancer is linked to resentment and is linked to, you know, the particular cancer that I had in the throat of the thyroid being so directly linked to my voice and how now it's like this, this journey of healing that I've been on has come so full circle to where I'm able to use my voice today freely, openly, truthfully, genuinely, authentically to speak and to lead. I just could sit and listen to that story on replay all day. I mean, talk about music to my ear. People, this is it. This is the work right here. And, you know, I, it took me a while to get on board with the physical is linked to the emotional. But my arthritis got bad enough that I got on board with it. And it was stunning to discover that that was bitterness in your heart. Well, you can take that all the way back to my mother and how she used her voice with me and how how she refused to let me use my voice. So that's, that's really extraordinary. Well, when you were talking about your corporate life, I was curious, and I don't know, maybe you've already answered this in a way, but it made me wonder, were you just driven... Or did you not want to use your voice in that environment to say, actually, no, I'm not going to work 80 hours a week? You know, and maybe it's not that cut and dry, but that was a thought that came into my head was, was Courtney just driven or was there something more to that story around voice and working like that? That is such a great question. And just the initial thought that came up to me as you asked was, it was a little bit of both. I think primarily because I was afraid to speak up 
to say what I wanted, mm. to speak up to my boss and stand up and say, hey, I'm not working these kind of hours. You know, you can let me go if you want, but this is not the kind of life that I'm going to work or live working yeah. for you, right? Yeah. So there was definitely that and this fear of speaking up out of fear of rejection, out of fear mm-hmm. of, um, and, and then the other piece of it is the driven piece, right? This was what else came up just now was that I always, always through my whole life, and I see it so clearly now, but I've had this drive to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I really believe on a deep level that was linked to need my need for my mother's approval mm-hmm. of me. Mm-hmm. And that maybe if I could just do the things and be successful and be somebody, that then she would love me. Yeah. And it wasn't that my mother didn't love me, right? Yeah. But it's again, right. linked back to that emotion and feeling that, feeling that yeah. love from her. Yeah. And so... Gosh, it's just fascinating because I think one fed the other. Oh, for sure. It becomes a rubber band ball. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. I Yeah, I was curious about that. And then that led me to another, and I promise y'all, I'm going to get to the, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to her about the effortless life. You'll learn, you'll learn, I promise. But y'all have got to remember, you know, chronic overworker here. Y'all are probably thinking, I can't even believe she had this woman on this show, right? Because they know that I work a lot. And that led me to the question, what is the difference between I love what I do and I don't want, I mean, this is, this is what I want to be doing. And I know I'm not the only one, of course, it's a selfish question, but, and I'm curious to what you would say, but what is the difference between I love what I do. I'd rather be here doing this versus I've got something to prove. I've got to escape my life. I've got to be a workaholic like this one in order, you know, is there a difference? That's another great question. And, you know, for those of us that do love what we do, that we're in a position that we're living the life, the business of our dreams, essentially doing work that we love, we have to be even more careful. Because regardless, whether you're just a chronic overworker because you're trying to escape life or stay busy or distract yourself from deeper things going on under the surface, or whether you truly love what you do, it lights you up, it fulfills you, there's a sense of worth that's connected there on some level in a very deep way. And so for those of us that love what we do, then we have to be even more careful about where that line is and be more aware of where that line is between loving what we do and overworking ourselves. Mm -hmm. And same thing goes for when you are in that position where you're overworking yourself, you're feeling exhausted, you're feeling burnt out. And to really question that, you know, and, and, and what is the reason behind this? What is the need behind it? Mm -hmm. And this is something that I coach my students on quite often where you know, what is, what does it give you? What does that yeah. work give you? That secondary gain thing. Yes. hundred mm-hmm. percent. You know, I look at that, like the, I think it's that, what is it? Five hour work week. I believe that was Tim Ferriss, you know, and Tim Ferriss, four hour. Tim, yeah. Yeah. Four hour work week. That's right. And I'm like, I can't even wrap my mind around that. Not from a workaholic perspective, but from, I would, I would be so sad if I only got to do this four hours a week. Yes. Yes. And that's where you have to really dig deep and identify where those boundaries are for you. Yeah. Which is tough for people, you know, entrepreneurs, because, you know, suddenly 
you're in control, you're in charge. You're not answering to anyone else or, you know, having to show up work at a certain time, whatnot. And so those boundaries can be tough to put into place. So I find for me, you know, it's a little different for everyone. Maybe for Tim, four hours is great. He's, Mm -hmm. he's good for me. You know, I work about 20 hours a week on average Mm -hmm. and that is, is, for me, the quote unquote, perfect balance where I have enough time to be in my life, be with Mm -hmm. my family and having those tighter, tighter boundaries or the, the, the confines is the word that comes to mind, but around my time, right in the mornings, my son's at school from 830 to 1130. That's a chunk of focused work time. Mm -hmm. I don't have time in the afternoon because I'm with him. Right. I want to be with him. That's how I am ordering my life and my priorities and my work. And the point I'm getting at is that it helps me stay really focused on the work that I need to do, that only I can do, and to outsource the rest. Because if I had 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week to work, I'd be doing it all. I'd be doing all the things. Yeah. Well, you know, I... I think you primarily work with entrepreneurs, but I have some corporate people I work with. And when 2020, when we all went home, well, I haven't been at home for 12 years, but these are people that have worked in an office for one year, 10 years, 40 years. And every one of them, the first thing they told me was, I'm working all the time. And I remember having to master I didn't even realize how much I was working because it, it was just right here. And so you get into the, you create habits, I guess. Well, it's, it's, not, it's 10 o'clock, but I'm just going to get these emails done. And they were finding that that was the, that was the challenge at home was that they would work from nine in the morning till 10 at night because they were, it was all right there. Yes. Parkinson's law. That work will fill the time that you allow it. Ah. And it's so interesting to see this play out because you can see entrepreneurs, Tim Ferriss is a great example, right? Let's say you wrote this book about four, four hour work weeks. So we assume he works four hours a week, right. whether he really does or not. Most weeks, we don't have any way of knowing, but let's just assume he works four hours a week. He only allows four hours a week for work. He probably works all of those four hours. If he allowed 40 hours, he would probably work all of those 40. So it really comes back again to boundaries and priorities because the tendency is, well, yeah, work is just there. It's easy. Let me open my laptop. Sometimes we go to check email for a distraction. Sometimes we can't sleep, right? What am I going to do? Okay, let me just go see, scroll Instagram. And sometimes it can also, it's very sneaky and very deceptive, but it's this idea that the more I work, the more I'll get ahead. Yes. Oh my gosh. The big lie. Mm-hmm. And so let me check my email at 10 PM tonight or first thing when I wake up in the morning, because then when I sit down at my desk tomorrow, sit down at my right. desk for the first moment of the day, then I won't have that to do. I can just dive right in. But yeah, what, what do most people do? They sit down at their desk and check their email again. Yeah. yeah. So it's very yeah. deceptive and it's just so <laughs> right. sneaky. Yeah. Right. But this pull to busyness. And it actually, mm. you know, I don't know if you want to dive into this at all. We can or not either way, but it's fascinating how busyness is an addiction. It The same chemical lights up in your brain when you're working and busy as it does when you're drinking alcohol, yeah. smoking, doing drugs, all of those things. 
Yeah. I do want to talk about that, but I want to go back for just a second because I want the listeners to hear you say this because I know it is true and we all can tend to fall into it. We never get it all done. That's not reality, is it? That I, I mean, I don't care if I wipe every sticky note off this table tonight. I still didn't get it all done. And that's an illusion we buy into, isn't it? Yes. And you know what else really comes to mind here that I think, you know, is so, so important to talk about is overworking is not necessarily even about the number of hours you spend at your desk or on your laptop. It's the number of hours you spend thinking about work. And so this is why for some people, they really struggle to detach from work. Their laptop might be closed. Maybe they're watching Netflix, but they're thinking about work. They're thinking about what they need to do the next day, about those meetings coming up, the things that are on the horizon, the things that are always in the inbox. And you're right. You will always have something in your inbox. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There will always be things that pop up in the course of the day. So I think the key then here is in order to stop overworking, we have to start accepting that there will always be work. Yeah. 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 That was huge for me mm-hmm. to because I really bought into that. And I was really driven to have that clean slate at the end of there was such a sense of accomplishment or something, you know. But when I realized I was chasing a dog's tail, then I stopped doing it. But the badge of busyness, it makes me crazy. And you know, even in the work that I do, I have many, many conversations about, well, I don't have time to explain it. I didn't have time to soften my tone. I didn't have time. You don't have time not to, is usually my response. So why do we, are we replacing another addiction that we had or what? Talk to us about busyness and addiction and what we get out of it and why we do it. And I think for many people, they don't even realize it. Would that be accurate? They don't even realize they're putting on their busy shirt. I'm certainly aware when I'm doing it, but I think a lot of people aren't, right? Yes. A lot of people go through the motions and a lot of people work all day long and put their head on the pillow at night and wonder, what did I actually accomplish today? Yeah. Even though they were busy all day. And so what's really interesting is when you look at how we are motivated as human beings, we can either be motivated toward something, Mm -hmm. which is typically toward something positive, or we can be motivated away from something, which is typically away from something negative. So to give you a simple example of this, let's just say weight loss, right? You could either be motivated to lose a certain amount of weight away from the number that you don't want to be on the scale and toward the number that you do want to be. And you could be motivated towards maybe wanting to fit in that certain size pair of jeans that you love, or maybe wanting to have more energy and to feel more focused and to just have a better overall sense of health. So away from and toward motivation often work hand in hand. And what I see happening in terms of busyness, especially with entrepreneurs and even those in corporate, you know, especially as you get higher up and you're, you do have a little more leeway and flexibility, maybe mm-hmm. you're managing other people, is there's two things. Number one, busyness can be used to avoid. It can be used to numb our mm-hmm. feelings. It can be used to avoid taking a look at 
the deeper issues that maybe are there under the surface. You know, the broken relationship that's not working out so well or the emotional hurts, those things that we often don't, sometimes aren't aware of and sometimes just don't want to deal with. And busyness can also be used towards something, towards feeling fulfilled, towards feeling a sense of worth, a sense of pride in the work that you do, a sense of significance. Uh For some people... It can be both back and forth all day long. Yeah. And so it just becomes this really convenient way to avoid and also feel worth something Yeah, at the same time. Well, let me ask you this, because I was raised by a chronic workaholic who I adored, but never saw. He left at 4.30 in the morning to run the largest pipe fabricating company in the world. And he came home at eight o'clock at night my entire life you know, gr- growing up. Mm-hmm. And I I would suspect all of these reasons that you gave are, are why he did that, right? But I look at me and my younger sister, I mean, my, my older sister, I'm the youngest, and I was a chronic workaholic. She is an off-the-chain workaholic. I mean, like, insane. And it makes me wonder... Was it those same, like I'm really especially talking about my sister. My sister can't even come to a a meal because she's got so much to do. It's very, very self-inflicted, right? And so all of these things, but it made me wonder, is it also learned behavior? Can it be literally, we saw daddy work all the time. We loved him. I want to be like daddy, so I'm going to work. Or is there always a driver that says, You'll only be worth something if you work all the time like daddy did. I think it can absolutely be learned behavior. And where the worth piece comes in is the sense of significance to your dad. Yeah. And so my dad, I can relate to this so much. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember in the world of finance. And when my mom quit her job as a nurse, right? Steady paycheck. She Mm. quit her job to stay home and raise me and my sisters. And... My dad was the type of dad who he had what us Americans might call a great work ethic. Yeah. And it's something that's very ingrained in our culture. And as a young girl, I wanted to be like my dad. Yeah. I wanted to work like him. I wanted to have my own business. I wanted to help people. And now as an adult looking back, and he still runs his business today. He's been 40 plus years, very successful. But I can look at his work ethic, and I'm putting that in air quotes, and see that the ways that he actually creates work for himself, the ways that he goes above and beyond in the name of helping someone when really it's to his own detriment. Yeah. And so I think that those are also learned behaviors. He was raised by a single mom. His dad passed away in a car crash when his mom was pregnant for him. Oh, wow. His mom raised four kids, you know, worked to support them. And I think that there was, I'm imagining, I don't know this for sure, but from what I see and from my perspective, that maybe there was a need there, right? She had to Mm -hmm. work. She had Mm -hmm. to provide. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to do what you had to do to make those ends meet. And almost this sense of desperation is the word that comes to mind. But, But this idea that if I'm not working, then what? Yeah. Oh, I love that. 
And so I see that same thread woven into my dad and how he runs his business. And he could stop working tomorrow and probably be just fine. Mm-hmm. But in his mind, in some part of his being, there's a need there to, to continue to work. And so I think, you know, for many of us, we come by it honestly. But look at those who live in Europe, let's say, for example, Italy, right? And they take mm-hmm. a break in the middle of the day to go yeah. home and take a nap. Yeah. That's so normal for them. For yeah. us, we'd be like, what? what? Oh my gosh, nap? are you oh kidding goodness. me? Exactly. No. So a lot of it is cultural. And that's why in the work that I do, you know, it is a big belief to go up against and to sit here and to say, you don't have to work as hard as you think you do in order to have the success that you want and that you deserve. You definitely don't have to work as hard as the culture is telling you, but all the messages that you are getting from the culture, from your upbringing, from your own beliefs, from what your colleagues are doing based on the culture's influence on them, on their upbringing, on their own beliefs. There's so many messages to the contrary that are very loud and very noisy. And it can be really hard to discern and figure out, well, what are my priorities and what do I value? And what's really important to me in life? And what am I working so hard for? Yeah. So there's a lot of resistance around that. A lot of resistance. And it sounds like what I hear you saying is there's resistance because of these cultural implications, the, you know, all of these things that we're talking about. But I almost feel like, do people struggle in a resistance to allow a good life? They're resistant to the possibility of the idea of, I don't deserve, there's no way I could ever work for myself or take a nap in the middle of the day. Do we resist having a good life? on some level, many of us do. Again, it kind of boils down to this idea of self-worth and of what we believe we're deserving of. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to these three points. Tell us these three points again, because your, your whole methodology is centered around this concept of effortless life. I mean, that's what you call it, right? Yes. And you know, 10 years from now, our vision is to be a household name where being and Mm. living and creating an effortless life is the norm. Is the norm. And, you know, we want to be able to provide coaching and services in all areas of life, health, relationships, finances, business, mindset, all, all areas. And right now where we really are focused is in working with entrepreneurs and those corporate business leaders who want to operate their business, their work, and their life as a CEO would. There's a difference between working every day in your business versus working Mm. every day on your business. There's a difference between working in your business behind the scenes versus getting out on the front of your business, being the voice, being the face, being the leader. And so really what we've noticed in our work with entrepreneurs and business leaders is that it boils down to these three key pillars. And the pillars are mindset, strategy, and commitment. And we call this the effortless CEO framework. And when you have all of these three pillars in place, when you're continually working on your mindset, 
uncovering those limiting beliefs and roadblocks that stand in your way, cultivating your self-awareness. And then when you have the right strategy in place for your business to grow, you know your high payoff activities. You spend 90% or more of your time on those activities every week and delete, automate, or delegate the rest. And you are committed to your business, meaning that you don't operate your business based on your emotional state. You don't operate based on how you feel that day. You operate it knowing that your success is inevitable because you are so, you are one with the vision of your company and where you were taking it. That is when the magic happens and you become what we call an effortless CEO. Now, when you're missing any one of these components, that's where you start to get in a place where you might feel stuck. Or maybe you feel frustrated because you're working so hard, but you're not seeing the results that you want yet. So for example, if you're missing the mindset piece, you are going to have great strategy. You might be great at executing and implementing. You might be really committed to your business, but eventually you're going to hit a wall because you're not cultivating that awareness muscle, as I call it. And really exploring those deeper things under the surface that are holding you back from reaching the next level. On the flip side, maybe you spend all of your time doing personal development and mindset work. And you know, you know those things that are holding you back. You have worked through all the blocks, but if you're lacking a good strategy or if you're lacking commitment, then you become what we call a sideline entrepreneur where you're just sitting on the bench all day. You're not actually out there playing the game. You're not actually implementing what it is that you learn. And then if you have, you know, the the strategy and the mindset, you're working on your mindset, you've got some good strategy in place, you've identified some high payoff activities, but you're not committed, you become kind of what we might call a a fly-by-night business owner where you're just operating your business on the fly at the expense of yourself, at the expense of your sanity, at the expense of those around you. Because when you feel good, business is great. But when you feel down and that self-doubt starts to creep in and, you know, that launch didn't go the way you wanted it to, or those numbers didn't look the way they were supposed to this quarter, and you're operating your business from that emotional state, then it's going to be really difficult to grow and you'll burn yourself out in the process because it'll be start, stop, start, stop, up, down, up, down. And it's this emotional roller coaster that's exhausting for anyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you really need all of these three elements working in sync. And it's a beautiful dance that really happens between the three. And sometimes you might spend a little more time on your mindset. Sometimes you might spend a little more time working on your strategy, assessing your commitment level, managing those emotions. And when you have those three elements working together, that's when you can truly step into the role as the effortless CEO your business needs to succeed. Would you say in working with entrepreneurs, I mean, that's really good stuff. And I, I bet, uh, you know, some of the listeners might have had realizations there like, oh, I kind of see where my deficit is. But do you see traditionally patterns among like entrepreneurs, let's say, do entrepreneurs tend to across the board, one of the biggest issues is working in their business versus on their business because maybe they're bootstrapping, maybe they are just getting going, or maybe they've struggled to hire, or maybe they're controlling and there's nobody that can do it like they can do it. I would think that's would be one of the big ones. But do you 
or, or is there any patterning to it or is it just everybody's different? That's a fantastic question. You know, what I really see is I will say business owners who are in the early stages of their business. And that can vary from person to person, but, mm-hmm. you know, from zero to maybe five years in have a lot of mindset work to do. Yeah. We all have a lot of mindset work yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, forever. But when you, yes, but when you get in business for the first time, that learning curve can feel so steep because not only do you have to figure out how to navigate all these different platforms and show up on social media and you know all these things and really all it is that you just had an idea that you wanted to sell and help people, right? And it just becomes so much to figure yeah. out that what many people don't realize is how important the mindset work is, number one, because they're so focused on making money, getting making a profit, getting things running, up and running so they don't have to work so hard, right? Like I was kind of in my corporate life, but mm. I was in corporate, same thing applies. And so really, again, kind of running their business from that emotional place and not taking the time to lean into those areas where they can see more growth and faster improvement if they would just slow down for a moment and recognize, number one, what's holding them back, and number two, all the stories that they're telling themselves Mm -hmm. for what is and is not possible in their work. Yeah. And then, you know, for a little bit, maybe more seasoned business owner, a couple of years in, right? At first, you just kind of throw in stuff at the wall to see what sticks, but then you find a little bit of a rhythm, right? You found some things that work. But one of the mistakes I see a lot of entrepreneurs making is that they're using tactics as strategy. And what I mean by that is, you know, they might sign up for this course or figure out, okay, how to grow their list here. Let me create a great sales page here. Let me, you know, create a lead magnet here. And it's a lot of different tactics that they're using that the experts are saying, here, do this, this, and this to grow your business, but that it's not actually the right strategy for them and their business because every business is so unique. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things we do with our students is help them identify what the right strategy is to grow their business. And what what the the analogy that I like to use for this is, you know, right now they've got all the pieces, they've got all the tactics, but they don't have, it's like puzzle pieces. They don't have the box to the puzzle to know how to put all those pieces into place. Yeah. 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 I bet you save them a lot of money too. All those people that have shiny object syndrome. We hope that, so. You and know. trial and error and wasted time yeah, and headache and yeah. frustration. <laughs> yeah. The stories I've heard of people that they just, they're almost like they buy this and buy this and buy this and buy this in the hope that, okay, this one, this is going to do it for me. This is, this is the, the golden egg. And yes. that's not real. Yeah. It? And that's also the challenge that we have had to really, really hone in with our market, our messaging, because our ideal audience is so busy. They are so overworked. They are hurrying as fast as they can to try to find something, the golden ticket to success, throwing all the spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And what we provide is such a deeper level of transformation. You know, we've had students that have entered our program, gone from making virtually nothing in sales, despite working 60 hours a week at their max, to generating over 3 million in revenue in a single month. Oh. And then maintaining that trajectory for two years since. Sign me up for that program. 
know, right? But, but you, what's, the, what's the link for that program? Yeah. <laughs> Here's a link. I'm going <laughs> to drop it. Put it in the show notes. But really, the, the challenge for us has been getting people to slow down long yeah. enough to recognize what's possible. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I can totally see that. There was a study. I, I love the mindset stuff. You know, that's so much of the work that I do over here in relation to voice and you're choosing to be heavy with your voice versus light, you know, and all these stories and all this stuff. But there was a, a study I read one time and they took a basketball team and they divided them in half. And it was like some, you know, like Indiana University or like, like real deal, you know, and they took half of them and they practiced every day, all day or for three or four or five hours a day, 20 minutes of mindset. They took the other team three or four hours of mindset visualization, 30 minutes of practice. The scores were literally almost the same when they went to play. Mm. I mean, that's major, you know, yeah. major. I mean, it, the, the, the mindset people, their scores were just a little bit below the ones that practiced three, four, five, six hours a day. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, I, I think people don't realize the power of mindset. And we're not taught that, right? We're taught to work no, hard. That's right. But we're not taught necessarily how to think like successful entrepreneurs think. Right. That's right. And for many people, for those successful entrepreneurs, the multi-six and seven-figure entrepreneurs that you look up to, the ones that most people aspire to be like one day, right? The Amy Porterfields and the Tim Ferrisses mm-hmm. and the James Wedmores of the world. And they don't recognize that those people have often been on a journey for 10, 12, 14, 15 years. They have figured out the mindset stuff simply because they started long enough ago that they've been on this journey long enough to get to where they are today. Yeah. And most of us in this fast-paced world of social media and digital connectedness that we live in look to people like that and think, gosh, they were just an overnight success. Right. And... I'm not, what I'm not saying is that it has to take you 15 years. What I'm saying is when you learn how to think like a successful entrepreneur, how a six and seven figure entrepreneur thinks, it doesn't have to take you 15 years. It can take you two or three or less. Yeah. I get that a lot too. I want to be able to do my voice like you do, Tracy. Well, I've done it like this for 36 years. Mm-hmm. Give yourself a minute because you got to write it in. And I bet that plays into that whole busyness and so many of the problems is give it now, give it to me now. Mm-hmm. I can I can get an internet connection and send an email, get back to space and back in less than six seconds. What do you mean? I got to do something here. Right. That's got to play into this. Well, tying back to that idea of resistance, that's the work that people resist doing. The inner work. They want the quick fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want the fast result, the instant gratification. And again, a lot of that's cultural too. Because like I said, you can send an email and, you know, it's in your inbox in a moment. Right. Less than a moment, a split second. And so it's really this whole idea, you got to go slow to go fast. But as entrepreneurs, we don't want to hear that. I don't be told to slow down, do you? Right? And so it's like, I want to be as successful as I possibly can be in the shortest amount of time. The key to doing that is to do the inner work. Yeah. 
And that's the link that most people don't connect. They don't connect those dots to realize yeah. that faster, the faster you will grow, the degree to which you're able to grow, the speed at which you're able to grow is directly linked to the degree and the amount of inner work that you're doing. Not the amount of tasks. Correct. Yeah. But we like to do tasks, don't we? Because we like a sense of, we like to feel like we accomplished something. Going back to something you said earlier, people go to bed at night and they've worked all day and they realize, what did I even get done today? But don't we, it's like, okay, if anybody does this, you do something and it wasn't on your to-do list and you write it on there to check it off, right? So you can draw the line through it. That's, I need that sense of accomplishment, right? Yes. Yep. And you know, that's another thing that people resist. They know those students that we work with who are willing to do the inner work are the ones that have the greatest transformation. But then there's a lot of resistance that comes up because you can't see the inner work happening. You can't check it off the list. It's a longer process. And so you can't say, okay, I worked on my mindset today. I have a belief and check, 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 right? It's It's an internal evolution of self. Yeah, yeah. And big, you know, when you were, when you were given, when you were talking just then it made me laugh. I remembered years ago, I had some to-do list and a friend looked at it and she said, Tracy, the stuff on your to-do list is like move across country. Okay. That that's like not one line, you know, you're not going to just check that off, but that's kind of what we do, isn't it? Yeah. And there's so many layers. There's so many layers oh, to moving across yes. the country. I mean, that's right. a great metaphor, right? Well, right. what's the first step to moving across the country? Well, maybe identify where it is you want to move, right? And right. All those steps right. that come underneath that. Yeah. And it's the same way with the inner work. And so uh-huh. it's if you want to get from point A to point B, but you're not taking time to slow down and really identify all those many steps along the way. And I'm not talking about the external steps like, you know, check email, respond to email, right. get on sales calls, build a right. sales page, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about the internal stuff. Yeah. And it's a whole world. I mean, it's amazing when you do start exploring that, the possibilities, the opportunities that open up for you that you just didn't see before. Yeah. Because you weren't looking for them. Well, and because don't you think that people get to holding on so tight? To the way they think it has to be. I mean, there we do get rigid, I think. Yes. You see that? Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then our expectations get looped in there as mm. well. And, you know, nothing can be easy, right? We're multidimensional beings, right? right. So you got your beliefs right. over here, your yeah. stories over here, the <laughs> resistance going on here, the mindset work, then, then yeah. of course the actual to-do list and right. the expectations that we set for ourselves which are often unrealistic. Yeah. We overshoot what we're able to get done in a day, yet often grossly underestimate what we can accomplish in a week or a month or a year's time. Right. And, you know, a distinction that I really like to make, you know, and talking about expectations is I tell people, I'm like, look, take a look at your to-do list. Every day, sit down the night before, plan out your list for tomorrow. What are the tasks you need to get done? Now take one thing off, Mm. just one thing. And it's a very tangible way to practice letting go of the expectation that it all has to get done. Yeah. That's important. The distinction that's also important to notice is that 
lowering or letting go of an expectation that you've set does not mean lowering your standards. It does not mean compromising your values. It does not mean going against your integrity in any way. It simply means not holding on so tightly to the things you're telling yourself have to get done and by when. Yeah. Does perfectionism play into this? It can. I'm a one on the Enneagram, which is nicknamed the perfectionist. Oh, really? Yes. So it's played a huge role in my own life for sure. In fact, my dad would always tell me growing up because he would see my perfectionist tendencies and he would say, Courtney, 80% solution, honey. 80% is good enough. And I would just like buck that and be, no, it's not good enough because it's just not. I have to do it to the best of my ability. And so straight A student and, you know, graduated Monia Cum Laude and all these things, but for what? And that's what he was trying to get me to realize was that 80% is good enough. You are good enough. You are worth enough. And the 20% that you are killing yourself to get it just right and to have every T crossed and I dotted, nobody else notices anyway. Right. right. Yeah. And so leaning into that has given me so much freedom. Mm-hmm. And so if you're listening and you you know you struggle with perfection or if you're familiar with the Enneagram and you're, you're a one or you got a one wing, right? It's the perfectionist and it's that need to be right. Mm-hmm for fear of rejection, fear of being wrong, fear of what other people will think. That's the deeper root that's tied to that. And when you can work on that and let go of what other people think, then guess what? I would imagine, number one, you're able to speak more authentically and use your voice. I know that has become true for me. Yeah. And then number two, you don't worry about all those little details so much. You know, yeah. if this was three, four years ago, Tracy, that we were sitting here having this conversation, I would be wearing, you know, fancy blouse. I'd have my makeup done. My hair would probably be done, you know, for a Zoom call, audio recording that nobody's going to see my face anyway, other than you. Oh, wow. And it was this, this ideal, this expectation that I held for myself so high. Yeah. That was impossible to meet some days. And it was mm-hmm. so much pressure. Now, I just show up as me. You know, hey, I've got my yeah. t-shirt on today. I don't have a lick of makeup on, but I feel my most authentic self. And I can yeah. be here and have a conversation with you that's hopefully hopefully providing value to your listeners. Yeah. And to let go of the 20%, right? I didn't need yeah. a full face of makeup. That was the 20% that I could let go of right. today. And so it's it's looking at your life and through that lens. Well, I definitely deal with that all day long with many of my people. I have to get it right. And the minute you get it right, you're in the future. And the minute you're in, go to the future, you, you have no voice power. You've lost it all. You have, you, there is no chance your voice is going to work in a way that will compel me. Mm. There's not going to happen, but we get all out there trying to get it right. I didn't get that perfectionism thing. I had, you know, I got another bag of of tricks that I had to deal with, but I never, I was never a perfectionist, but I work with a lot of people. That's a big thing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's usually, you know, it's been said before, it's a survival mechanism Mm -hmm. for avoiding rejection. Yeah. Truly at the heart of it. And what's interesting too, is when you said that, you know, when you're thinking about the future and suddenly you're there and 
what you what you experience in the future you're creating right now. Mm-hmm. So if in the here and now you are projecting yourself out there into the future, into a, a potential future that hasn't even happened yet, you're predicting yeah. the way it's going to go, then how right. can you be present? And what kind of future will that create? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't know those things. They don't teach those things in school. I think they should. Oh, I think so too. We should have a whole course on emotions. You should be able to get a degree oh, in know. limiting beliefs, right? Like I know, right? be able to just to understand these elements that that are part of our human experience, yeah, but that we're not taught and that are not talked about. Right. Right. And I know, I'm sure you see this. I see it every day. The things that I teach about, people are just like mind blown. Never even, never even heard anything like this in my life. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that could be so much more beneficial than that chemistry class that I took, not any criticism against that. If that works for what, where you're going, you know, what direction you're going or, or whatever it is, you know, could have been chemistry or who knows what else, you know? Right. But I think that those life skills and when, of course, my generation, when we grew up, we had home ec and things. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but it was great. I mean, you learn to sew, you learn to cook, you learn to build a car, you know, those kinds of things. I feel like we're so valuable in many, many ways. Yes. And sadly, you're right. I don't think they have that I don't that think anymore. they do any of that anymore. As soon as no. they started teaching to the test, mm-hmm. I think that's when we took typing. Are you kidding me? That's the best course I ever took. To learn ever. how to type. Yeah. yeah. And who knew? Who knew everything? We, we wouldn't even talk anymore. We'd just send a text. You got to type. Mm-hmm. Although I do have that draw thing on my phone. So I do draw that. And you can swipe it back and forth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm hot and peck. Y'all, y'all can like do all that fancy stuff, but not me. Okay. Well, I know I'm going to have to wrap up here pretty soon, but I want to just talk about a couple more things. I want to talk about your podcast and your new podcast program. So talk to us about when, how, how old is your podcast? The podcast launched February, 2020. So just oh, under a old. year. No. Okay. And we've had such tremendous success with the show. That's really how the podcast program, the Effortless Podcasting Formula was born out of thin air this past fall, right? Sitting around in quarantine with all these yeah. ideas. Okay, which one am I going to implement? Yeah. But you know, the podcast, the Effortless Life Podcast, anywhere podcasts are found. If you're a podcast junkie, go look it up. We'd love for you to take a listen. We dive into all the stuff that we've talked about mm-hmm. here on that show as well and, and how it relates to your business in your life as a whole. It's a great show. I highly recommend it. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, launched that in February of 2011. Of 2011. February 11th, 2020. That was our launch date. It stands out so distinctly in my mind. Yeah, just this past year. And we are among the top 300 shows in the US in business and education. That's awesome. And so that's how Joey, you know, Joey and I, uh, we, we overlap in a lot of different circles. And he was about to launch his podcast um, this late this summer. Mm-hmm. And he was picking my brain, Courtney, what did you do? You know, you had such a successful launch. People throughout the year have been asking me, can you come do a workshop for me, for my students mm. on launching? You know, can you talk on my show about launching your show and how that you did that? Because that was really cool to watch. And you just have had such success at the gate. And uh, so I gave Joey, you know, really interestingly, we were talking about him earlier. I said, Joey, look, here's what I did. And I gave him just a few bits and pieces of the formula. And 
don't tell him this if he's listening, Joey. I didn't even give you the whole formula. I didn't give oh, him everything. Oh. <laughs> and he had better results than we did when he launched his show. He got over 105 star reviews oh, yeah, his incredible. first week. Yeah, incredible. he said that was his best month. I believe he launched in August, and that August was his best best month ever in sales in his wow. company because of the podcast launch. Wow. And so I just got to thinking. I could really help people with this. People mm-hmm. who want to use their voice and use a platform to speak their voice, you know, through yeah. podcasting. And why not teach them what I did? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the steps that I used to launch this, to really get seen, to outrank the competition in Apple and some of those really competitive, yeah. you know, podcasting is a competitive world. It's a competitive yeah. marketplace. And to help people really tap into their authentic voice and share it in a way that gets noticed and gets seen yeah. and doesn't just go, you know, to the Apple right. platform to die, essentially, right. for lack right. of a better way to say it. Yeah. So that's how the effortless podcasting formula was born. And people were beating down the doors, I kid you not, to get inside. We had people after doors closed for a week after doors oh, closed messaging, really? can I still get in? Is there any oh, way to wow. get in? I don't want to get on the wait list. I want to launch my show in the new year. Can we, you know, so. Oh, wow. Anyway, long story short, you know, we've got 17 students in the program right now who are all working to launch their shows in early 2021. And um, the course has been incredible. And really just teaching the simple principles, not only to create a profitable show, but to leverage that show and to use every opportunity to leverage and monetize that show and to launch it. Because that is the number one thing that most podcast programs are missing. And I've, I've yeah. been through several, is a yeah. real launch strategy to get that show out there. Well, and you know what? All of them are missing, except for yours, is a voice coach coming in. Yes. Uh, podcasting. Hello. I know, Tracy, I cannot wait for your workshop and our students cannot wait. I've been hyping that up for them and they are just like ready. So they're going to get so much value because that is, you know, that's, it's one thing to know how to create a a podcast. It's another thing to know how to launch a podcast. And it's another thing to know how to use your authentic voice totally on your podcast. Right. So now, but I believe that I read somewhere, Courtney, that you, re, people who want, they already have a show and they want to relaunch, they can do this program too, right? Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Because okay. really what we focus on, we touch a bit on content creation strategies for that, you know, creating it if you're mm-hmm. creating from scratch. And then the bulk of the work is spent on creating your launch plan and your launch oh, okay. strategy to build momentum. So we've got quite a few people working with us right now who are relaunching an existing okay. show. Maybe maybe their launch just didn't have the oomph that they wanted. It didn't mm-hmm. have the momentum. You know, their show mm-hmm. hasn't kept the momentum. And so they're relaunching it. Okay. And that's what's cool about the formula is whether it's new from scratch for the first time or it's mm-hmm. existing and you want to relaunch, it works both yeah. ways. You're going to run it again this year? Yes, most likely. One more time? Early 2021 is when we're looking to reopen the doors. Okay, so not not again in 2020. So probably not again in 2020, okay. early 2021. Okay. So we'll. there's probably a link you can give me for that. We'll put in the show notes. Yes, we've got yes. a wait list. And if you okay. go enter your info there, you'll get on our early bird list, which means oh, you'll get early nice. access when we do open the doors. Perfect. Because we limit, we limit the group size so that I can yes, work hands-on hands with those. Yes, yeah. 
yeah, so. And then to work with you otherwise, we have a, you have a group, is it a group program? Yes, we've got a few programs. Our signature okay. program is a group coaching program. It's the Effortless CEO Academy. Okay. And that we're opening the doors to again in early 2021 as well, January. Okay. And I also have some higher level programs, live mastermind retreats and things like that. Um, you know, just based on where you are, where you want your business to be and what are the mm. current things that are getting in the way and mm. kind of match you, help you get matched to a program that really aligns with where you are and where you want to go. Yeah. Is, is that, how long is that academy program? So that one is designed to help you learn the methodology in 90 days. Okay. So it's 90 days, group coaching over that time frame, mm-hmm. and then lifetime access to the program of okay. the community. So okay. you can continue to grow and build from there. Yeah, very cool. Okay. Well, that's amazing. I'll put some links in the show notes. You guys are going to have to wait till 2021, it looks like, but it's going to be here in about a minute. It'll be here between the holidays. And the reason yeah. we do that, right? Open and close the doors is so that once they're closed, that we can really serve the people who are in our programs. Because yeah. that is one of my core values is that authentic connection. Yeah. And you know, even the podcasting program, the number one feedback that we have gotten back from people so far, the program hasn't even ended yet. We're only on week three. But the feedback that we've gotten so far of what has stood out to people the most is that I took the time to chat with them, to message back and forth in DMs, to answer their questions, send them a voice memo. And it's that little thing, those Mm -hmm. little touches that go so far when most people just want to sell you a course and dust their hands and say, okay, enjoy. Right. Yeah. So I hear that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. That extra mile. It's so important. And it's even more important now where there's so, and I don't mean this to sound negative, but there's a lot of you buy the course and you never even have access to the person. I mean, you watch the videos and for a kinesthetic learner, that's tough. You know, I'm all about that hands-on individualized stuff. Always have been. Agreed. And I think, you know, it's, it provides such a deeper level of transformation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely worth it. Even if it, even if it costs more, to have that hands-on piece, it's a hundred percent worth it. I think. Yes, I can look at the programs that I've and I've invested in countless things over yeah. the years, and the ones that I have enjoyed the most and have gotten the best results with have been the ones where I had access mm. to the person I was yeah. working with. Yeah. Well, Courtney, I'm going to have to let you go. I know you've got to you've got to go have an effortless life. <laughs> we could talk all day. <laughs> well, all I know. Night and day on this I stuff. know. I love it. I know. I know. And then you'd be viol- you might be violating your rules. And I yes, can't, that I is can't. true. That is <laughs> I true. I could talk until you know another ten minutes, six p.m. I close my laptop. Right, and right. That's it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Any last thoughts you want to share with the listeners? Anything? Thank you for having me, Tracy, first of all. And yeah. I'll just leave you guys with this, you know, and reiterate to reiterate what I said earlier, that if you walk away with nothing else today, walk away with this, that it is possible to work less and make more, that you don't have to work as hard as you think you do, as the culture is telling you you have to, to have the success that you deserve, to have the greater influence and the income and the impact that you deserve. Oh, that's good. That's good. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for all these incredible nuggets of wisdom and sharing them with us. And thank you, listeners. I appreciate you as always, but I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Until I see you next time, you know what to do. Get out there and speak your truth. Just do it beautifully. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. 